woodworms. I'm Ray Defterius, and this is the Hand Toolbook Review, the podcast for people who love woodwork and love reading about woodworking too. Do you like evocative sketches from the past? Are you curious about what our ancestors used different woods for? Or would you simply like to follow an apple seed from the old country all the way through to the present? A few episodes ago, I reviewed Bexfoot's book on wood which is an incredibly scholarly text on the subject. Today's book, A Reverence for Wood, whistles a completely different counterpoint to that tune. It was written by Eric Sloan, and he's an author that you may not be familiar with by name, but you'll certainly recognize his drawings if you see them. I first became familiar with them when reading up on hand tools. You know those old-fashioned line drawings of the most incredible tools from the past? That's Eric. In fact, the first book of his I purchased was a museum of early American tools. I actually wanted to cut the book up and use the illustrations to wallpaper my shop. His books are not expensive. New, you're looking at the $10 or $11 mark, and secondhand, you can pick them up for a couple of bucks. So buying this book and using it in this manner did not seem sacrilegious. It felt like it would be a nice flourish to personalize my space. However, Once I had the book in my hands and had read it, I put it in its place on the bookshelf and would never consider desecrating it in the planned manner. It's a wonderful and evocative book. Before we jump into today's book, a few quick shout-outs. Firstly, thank you to all the people who have recommended the show to friends. I don't frequent all the forums on the internet, but my attention was drawn recently to a really kind review of the podcast put up by Bibliophile13 a well-respected internet contributor and moderator. Thanks to everyone who has recommended it in a similar manner. Secondly, the folks at Lost Art Press have given me the go-ahead to record an audio narration of the Anarchist's Workbench. I'm pretty excited about this. You'll have seen I've released the first two chapters already, and I hope to release a chapter a week over the next few months, so eventually we'll have a complete audio narration of the book. But anyway, back to the book. Today's book's from Eric Sloan, and a little bit about him before we get into the book. He was born in New York, but in the summer of 1925, he left home at the age of 20 to try and make a living for himself. He worked his way across the country as a sign painter, and developed a unique hand calligraphy and lettering, which later became a characteristic of his books. He then attended the Art Students League of New York, and changed his name after his instructors recommended that young students paint under an assumed name so that their earlier, inferior works would not be attached to them. He chose the first name, Eric, as a nod to America, and the last name, Sloan, in honour of his greatest mentor. In the 1950s, he began spending part of the year in Taos, New Mexico, where he painted western landscapes and lovely depictions of the desert sky. In his career as a painter, he produced over 15,000 works. In fact, He's even credited with creating the first televised weather reporting network by arranging for local farmers to call in reports to a New England broadcasting station. He had a great interest in New England folk culture, colonial daily life, and Americana. He wrote and illustrated scores of colonial-era books on tools, architecture, farming techniques, folklore, and rural wisdom. Every book included detailed illustrations, hand-lettered titles, and his characteristic wit and observations. He also developed an impressive collection of historical tools, 
which became the nucleus of the collection in the Sloan Stanley Tool Museum in Kent, Connecticut. So if you're ever in the area, I'd suggest you drop in and check out the museum. Well, obviously post-COVID, as it's currently closed. If you're expecting a book like Bexfurt or Hoadley about wood, I definitely have to put this to bed early. Eric's book is a whimsical look at historical praxis, and it's told with a dry wit. At a first glance, the book may even come across as a children's book. And yet I think, like me, that by the time you've read it, you'll have learnt a myriad of interesting facts. The book covers four major time periods and is told as a historical work of fiction by showing the different views of wood in 1965, 1865, 1765 and 1665. We cover the major time periods of American history and by arranging them in reverse chronological order we move back in time and see a land that has an increasing respect for wood. It's interesting that the author himself states that this is the first book that he ever wanted to write. I'll quote a brief passage from his author's note, which I think explains why he wanted to write the book. I just read in a newspaper that because of plastics and other innovations, the usefulness of the tree has diminished in the past century. But the same newspaper enjoys the products of the forest. Every Sunday issue destroys a sizable grove. It may be that after we have spent a century or two in expanding our wealth of wood to see the riches of other planets, we will realize that our greatest wealth was right here on Earth after all. I derive a certain pleasure from an awareness of our gift of wood. Besides giving me its chemical and utilitarian benefits like the fireplace, it warms the soul as well as the body. The tree and its wood are a most necessary part of my life's aesthetic enjoyment. Perhaps, after reading this book, when you hear the rustling of leaves or the wind in the boughs, smell the fragrance of a Christmas tree or the burning of a pine log in the fireplace, or see the majesty of a gnarled and ancient oak, you will revive some faint memory from our early American heritage and share with those first settlers a reverence for wood. So what is the book about then? It's quite a hard question to answer as in many ways it's a collection of anecdotes narrated by fictional characters. And yet these stories hold a wealth of wisdom, from how wood behaves to where it comes from. For example, I didn't know that white cedar wood was mined from swamps after the surrounding trees had been cut down. It's kind of mind-boggling to think that in New Jersey, a layer of cedar 12 foot deep was submerged beneath the swamps and that these long sunken swamp logs could be retrieved and reused. Another anecdote is about why a shiplap will invariably stay in better shape than a mitre joint when it dries. It's a useful observation for woodworkers, and the author's description, explanation, and diagrams will make sure that this understanding of wood stays with you after you've finished the book. The drawings are evocative, and they combine with the text to make points that are memorable. It's a hallmark of the author's writing style, that you can sit down and read the book cover to cover in a single sitting and you won't get bored. But it's equally possible to pick it up and read it a few pages at a time over an extended period. There's a lot of folk wisdom in the book and I think that the diagrams showing how wood shrinks when it dries and how it swells again in summer, the discussions of items like when you leave it on the lawn, how it'll cup in a certain direction and how you can go about fixing that. 
is also interspersed with interesting stories like how they would cut painting boards out of wood and put dovetail keys in there to make sure that the canvas, as it were, stayed straight. I love how the author blends the practical with the interesting. So a good section on how warpage occurs is followed by a diagram of screw types that will help you to date early American screws. And then there's a series of diagrams of the batten door patterns of the 1700s to show the geographical differences. Reading it, I learned the difference between a typical panel door that is styled as a Christian door because of the cross arrangement made by the rails and styles, and the alternate pattern that has a Maltese cross at the bottom. A so-called witch door, a door that was thought to ward against evil spirits. As the author follows the destruction of an old barn, we learn some interesting techniques and move back in time to the time of the trunnel, or tree nail, a wooden peg used in place of the nail. Then we off to the 1860s, into a world where the whole-scale destruction of forest is commonplace. Log jams, caused by thousands of logs being floated downriver, and poor ragged charcoal men who could no longer source raw materials. Landscapes, cleared of all but the traditional husband and wife tree, are our surrounds. I found the information on the production of charcoal, both at an industrial scale and at a local farmer level, to be of interest in this chapter. Tools like the post axe are explained, and things like glutes, mauls and wedges are demonstrated. We see the wonder of wooden boxes as the standard packing material, and the use of wood in virtually all walks of life. Going further back in time, we enter a land dominated by forests, and a people who are living with a world of wooden things, from wooden cups and wooden tankards to churns, stirrers and oven peels. It seems that virtually everything was made of wood. It's a time when blackboards were really that, black painted wooden boards, and virtually every flag of the colonies had a tree in it somewhere as did the embossed coins of the time. You'll learn how an up and down saw works, but also the right way to pick and store apples, and how to propagate those selfsame apple trees. The final section, 1665, is a chapter that abounds with possibilities. If you're not yet familiar with the broad axe symbol of the king, or the different properties of sassafras, this is the chapter for you. The reverence for wood is clear, and I'll read one final excerpt from the book to show how different the times were. Agriculture and husbandry during the 1600s and 1700s were not a business, they were a way of life. And this explains why writings about agriculture were so filled with biblical quotations and moral philosophy. Austin, in speaking of pruning for example, tells how fruit trees that spread widely and grow low near the ground bear more and larger fruit than high trees and the fruit are easier to reach. This might be forgotten by the reader, except for the typical religious application as he then writes, and humble Christians too bring forth more and fairer fruit than lofty persons, while their acts are easier to reach. After that we have some short sections talking about the properties and identification of the most common American trees, the diagrams, descriptions, and uses are fantastic. But at 111 pages the book is done and we've walked an incredible journey with the author. So let's conclude. A Reverence for Wood is 111 pages long and is written by Eric Sloan. You can find the book on Amazon and often in a second-hand bookstore.
as in August 2020, it costs $11.89 for a physical version and $6.31 for the Kindle edition. But as I mentioned earlier, you can usually find them significantly cheaper on the second-hand market. If you have kids that are preteen and curious, the book is a must. But even if I didn't have children, it is a book that I think will resonate with woodworkers. Part history, past instructional, it's a great book that I believe you will enjoy having in your library. Again, I believe that once you've read it, you'll be sorely tempted to buy more of his books. And if you've got young children, read them The Diary of an Early American Boy, another one of Eric Sloan's books. I read it to Ben and Matt a few years back, and this school holiday my 10-year-old picked it up for himself and told me, Dad, I want to read that book on my own this time. I think there's a magic in Eric Sloan's books. I'm giving the book a 7 out of 10 in the category Historical, and 6.5 out of 10 in the category Wood. So that's it for now, Woodworms. And remember, go hug a tree, and keep reading. If you have any comments or suggestions, perhaps a favourite book you'd like to suggest or one you're considering buying that you'd like me to feature in a future episode, drop me an email at handtoolbookreview at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can find me on Patreon. Your contributions will support the purchase of books for the library and future episodes.